sassy Little bit crazy, little bit classy We got dreams and we got goals We're just a couple of old sassholes Hello, hey y'all. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. How many hellos do we want to throw in today? Let's do a bunch. I like it. Why not? Uh, this is a couple of Sassholes podcast. I am Brooklyn Maple. And I am Heather Terry. And this is our true crime little corner where we talk about some crazy shit. It's just our little true crime show. Yeah. Just Thanks this for little- listening. We appreciate it. Appreciate y'all. Uh, please continue to do so. Yes. Because we love you and we hope you love us. They do. Let's oh, just yeah. assume. Let's just uh, assumptions. Well, we might have a few hate listeners. I got to hate so? them. I don't think I can hate listen. I can barely hate follow on yeah. social media. You're the one that taught me that word. Yeah. It's a very like people hate follow all the time. And for people who don't know what that is, it's where you follow someone on Instagram or any form of social media just to hate them. Mm-hmm. I do it, but I think every person that I hate follow, they last about three months before my hatred becomes so dense that I must remove myself from the experience and unfollow. That's about your your limit, I yes. feel like. <laughs> I don't know. I've made it. I can't throw names, but I've made it through pretty long hauls with some hate follows. <laughs> you know who you are. They don't know who they are. <laughs> That's, That's the whole point. Oh, I know. It's like the best nicknames are the ones that people don't know they have. Oh, Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Uh, so, yeah, I feel bad about those people that are being hate followed, but good for you. It's This is my thing. If you're an influencer or you're someone on social media who's like actively trying and making an attempt, you know that people hate you. <laughs> <laughs> like I've done it. There are there are posts in my life where I was like or a whole section, like two years where I was trying specifically to become an influencer for like ki- like cooking and I hate me when I go, when it pops up on my time hop and I'm like, oh my God, Brooklyn, like your posts were so, but I, it's, you were so good at it though. Um, no, but I also had like, I, you're not seeing the cheesy posts of like working hard late. Like there were, there were Pre-Heather. some really, yeah, there were some really <laughs> cheesy fucking posts in there that I was trying to like hashtag girl boss through and it's okay. just, it's cringy. Um, it's cringy to me. Boss babe. Yeah. But you have to know, like, you just, you have to know people are hating because it's just like, why, why do you do that? I don't, I have yet to understand social media besides, hey, look at this pretty park that I was at, or um, you have to try this restaurant because of blank. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, this was a really awesome place that I visited versus just all the other shit that's out there yeah i like to keep up with people that i've crossed paths with but i don't get to see very often so i'm like oh their kids are cute or oh Ew, look what they do, do. You really do you i don't know it sounded good I, yeah <laughs> that that was obligatory yeah got it sorry yeah you're like oh, i'm gonna call her out sassel i am because i just know you know i know me. <laughs> I know. I'm like, man, I bet that's exhausting. She has four. Yeah. More and I'm like, like I slept until 10. <laughs> but her body's beat up, you know? <laughs> Anywho. No, I feel you. But yeah, social media is weird to me. But we've been trying. We've been doing our best. Yes. And I hope you guys have noticed that. We just got back from our trip, which was phenomenal. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was so fun. My first uh, road trip. And it was awesome. I did learn a lesson that I I picked states too far away. I talked and I unpacked it heavily with Travis to see how I could alleviate the issue in the future. And I just put us too far away. This is, that's my sis. She's always uh, trying to improve and dissect. Yes. Always. Yes. Like you're like, I'm sleepy. It's probably because of blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude. (laughs) Or you're, just be you're tired. tired. <laughs> that's what my life is. <laughs> you always joke and say I don't have anxiety. It's just because I'm like, I'm sleepy and that's okay. <laughs> and you're like, I have to figure out why I will never be sleepy again. <laughs> you ain't lying. I know. So, I mean, that's your journey and I yeah. support it. But I, I I'll just wave at you from the pit stop and I'll just sit over here where I'm like, nah. <laughs> and mehville. Uh, so let's talk about Bucky's. Oh, can we please talk about it? Okay. That's the only thing I want to talk about. Okay. That's the whole podcast. That's what we're going to call it. Bucky Nation. We're changing the name. Yeah. That Okay. Y'all, I have wanted to go since I heard Karen and Georgia from My Favorite Murder talk about it, right? So we go. And I was stuck. Like, Brooklyn was so annoyed before we even left because for two months I was like, and we're going to Bucky's. She's like, sis, I fucking know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are going. And then we get there. And then we pull up and we walk in. Probably 200 gas pumps in Georgia. Oh, 
the most I've ever Sis, seen. I don't even know. I can't even in guess. In my entire life. 100% that. Then you walk in. Everyone says hello to you when you walk in because that's cute. Yeah. And it's, then it's huge. It's huge. It's unbelievably efficient. Yes. And we never waited in line. No. Which is unbelievably, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And I I don't know. It was a really cool experience. We went, we were able to go back again when we were in North Carolina. Am I making that up? Georgia again? I don't remember. I don't know either. Do you remember? Yes. Uh, No. And we don't. We don't remember. We don't remember. (laughs) So, Um, but it was awesome. Somewhere along the way, we went to another Bucky's. And then Tracy told me that the one that we passed that was under construction in Sevierville, in Sevierville, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be the biggest one. So we will be back. What a life. I know. What a time to be alive. It is. And mm-hmm. now it's it's definitely a thing. I don't know that if I was ever on a road trip with Travis, I would have us going there because now it's cheating. It is cheating. That's our place. Yeah. Okay. But well, Will does want to go. <laughs> See, okay. Well, one time. We'll give him we'll, a one time we'll buddy yes. pass. One time. Travis would not care to go there. Oh. We're, we're very brand specific, regimented type A people. So I can already tell you that we're going to go to Love's everywhere that we go because we love Love's. Okay. Well, Gas stations. Time. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'll keep Bucky's for our relationship. Okay, that I'll works. keep that in our circle. Gotta keep it spicy. Always. Uh, speaking of spicy. Wait, what? Let's talk about guys in sweatpants in the gym. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I would that say pivot? that segue. <laughs> I the pivoted. Ones, yeah, but that pivot was like, I don't think they're as spicy. Okay, you continue. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So we've been, we Heather and I work out together um, for anyone who gives a fuck or knows, uh, <laughs> because we do everything together. We also work out together, mm-hmm. which is also cute because our spouses work out at the gym too. So it's like, it's not just a me and Heather show, but anyway. It is. It is. But because <laughs> we actually they, do work out together. They're, they're just like, they're just there <laughs> being alive and working out. But we went, we were at the gym. I don't know who cares when. And there's just like a group of guys I just can't cope because I'm not trying to look at dick. It's not my thing. Heather is definitely a peeper of the penis. Listen, if it's looking at me, I'm going to look back. <laughs> if my boobs were out, they would look. I, I've had guys stare right. at my tits for 37 years, if they're out or not. So, therefore, I'm going to look back. You know what? It's time to rise up. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. I stand beside you. Good. As uh, you should. But I don't want to look. And I feel like they angrily look at me. And it's like you can tell someone's staring at you. You can just tell when someone's staring at you and you look over. And that's how I feel about penises in sweatpants in the gym. (laughs) Dead ass. Because that one guy did not have underwear on. No. Fuck you. Mm -mm. Fuck you, Thomas. I don't know his name, but I'm going to call him Thomas. Fuck you, Thomas. (laughs) Because he was unattractive. And I could draw his penis from memory right now. (laughs) I've cheated on Travis. I need to sit down and talk to him about it. I haven't. He doesn't listen to the podcast, so he'll never know. But I could draw his penis from memory. I mean, and here was the whole conversation was he was working out with three other guys and they were doing workouts where they were sitting down and doing like shoulder presses. Oh, how is it that your three other male male counterparts, your amigos, if you will, (laughs) did not tell you, hey, bro, when I work out, I don't like a side of your dick. As a part of it. I mean, right in the face. I could probably count the veins. Let me count the veins. Yes. Yeah. That's how. And I don't want to. This is the thing. Yes. I was. We were penis attacked. Yes. Yeah. We were assaulted. We were dick assaulted. We were assaulted. (laughs) And it's upsetting. (laughs) Did you try to smush those words? I did. Okay. I did. And it's upsetting. And I just. This is another PSA for the eight guys that might be listening Wear underwear at the bare men's. Right. At the bare fucking men's. Wear the underwear. Like, just run around getting scooter tracks all over all the machines, too. Ew. You know, there's a snail trailing up in their gym. <laughs> I know. Anyway. <laughs> it's just, it's something that's really, it gets to me because I didn't ask for it. Same thing as seeing women's buttholes <laughs> because they want to wear these damn yoga pants that have the crack inside of their buttholes. I mean, really, though? It's so extreme that it's like, Why? I just can't, and I and I know it's my age. It has to be our ages now that we're like, I'm 35, and I just don't think it's appropriate for me to see your ovaries through your fucking pants. And I just, I don't know. I just don't want to get the bird's eye view of what your gynecologist sees. That's what I'm saying. Like, go work out, be healthy. Good for you. Yes. But leave your labia I, out of it. Yes. <laughs> and I wear 
I I love athleisure wear. I love it, but I don't own one pair. And I own pairs that have like the little um, like geometric shapes that will maybe add to your ass looking extra juicy. But the need for the ones that rip into your ass crack, the TikTok ones. Yes, mm-hmm. I'll I don't get. I'll never understand. Mm-mm. And I just why are we doing this, everyone? I just don't think I could work out with that. Like a thong is one thing, but like my pants, like I my outside pants. I just I couldn't wear it because. That is literally me begging every single male in that gym and female, every single human being to then stare at my ass. And it is beautiful. I love my ass. I work very hard. She does. On my ass. (laughs) And I still don't want people staring at it like that because it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand. (laughs) People, man. Yeah. Well. To each their own. Mm -hmm. Keep doing you if you're one of the ladies listening here and right now, currently. Your yoga pants are deep inside your ass crack, and you're like, you know what, fucking sassholes? I'm being sassy. I love my ass. I want people to see my asshole. I'm going to do it. You do it. Rise love, up. Stand r- up. Rise Be up, proud. she said. I just love that you're like, to the girls, you're like, you know what? If you want to do that, that's okay. And the guys, you're like, put underwear on now. Well, because they're literally showing us their, like, wing. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a whole different thing. Like, yeah. you're you're kind of expected to wear underwear. I mean, yeah, as you should. Right? Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. should we talk about our topic? I feel like we should probably move on from body parts at the gym and, and go on to something a little bit more. On theme? On theme. So let's taco about it. Our topics today were another round of things to piss you the fuck off. Oh my God. And what is that topic? It is people who went to jail for crimes they did not commit. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It happens way, like just diving into it, it happens way more often than what I thought. Yes. And it's terrifying. Yeah. It it is a terrifying situation, Mm -hmm. if you will. Yep. And so uh, if anything ever happens in life, I would very much appreciate you not leaning in and saying, well, maybe she did it because then you're going to probably be in jail. Well, be nice. (laughs) 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 Sorry. I have a protein shake. I want to take a drink of. No drinking. Oh, really? ASMR? Mm -hmm. All right. So my works cited page consists of wiki like always the national registry of exonerations the takeaway wnyc studios website uh just for reference for anyone that wants to dive a little bit deeper there is a book called beyond innocence and then there is an independent documentary film titled the trials of daryl hunt it was named a sundance film festival selection that year which was in 2005 And the film explores the deeply personal story of a wrongfully convicted man. You can find it on HBO, but also they have it streaming on Netflix since 2013, which who knows if that's really on there anymore. But there's a lot that you can watch. Okay. And mine is called, because I love those titles. You sure do. uh, Guilty While Proven Innocent, which is fucked up. Oh, man. I'm about to get mad, right? Oh, real mad. Because you're going to get mad. Okay. Yeah. First, let's talk just a bit about Daryl Hunt prior to anything that we're digging into on the legal stuff. He was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina in 1965. He had an older brother, Willie, and a younger sister, and they were mostly raised by their maternal grandparents, which was William Stroud and his wife. uh, And his wife. I like that. I don't have his name. Her name. God damn those moments where you're like, women's rights, man. Women's rights. Why doesn't her name get listed? Uh, he was, her, his grandfather was a foreman for the city's street department. And for years, the children were told that their mother, Jean, who visited, was their aunt. But when she was killed and uh, he was only nine years old and he found out later on that that was actually his mom. Oh. Yeah. Which that's probably a little dicey, but I don't know. He he was haunted by her death and it was a it was really hard for him to kind of cope with. They attended local schools for a little bit and then Hunt eventually dropped out of high school. He went to Monterey, California with a cousin, but ended up coming home at the age of eighteen. So his grandfather had passed away and he'd given him some money after his death. I, I believe that's what can you answer this for me? What does bequeathed mean? Left to. Yep. Wow, you came in I don't know why I'm so turned on by that. Oh, okay. God. <laughs> anyway, that's what I thought. So I said, okay, yeah. I don't want to use the word bequeath. It didn't feel very on theme for me. So his <laughs> grandfather died and gave him money. <laughs> yeah, every, every opportunity I can. So he ends up getting an apartment and he lives there with his girlfriend and her young daughter. He works in construction, uh, but within a year, he's no longer working. He had split with his girlfriend and he lost the apartment. We're going to start kind of understanding 
a little bit about it, but it still kind of is going to be a, a bit of a foggy story, and you're going to understand why. So he starts hanging out with his friend Sammy Mitchell, which was an older friend that he had known forever. I'm not exactly sure of like the time frame of where he lost it all. If we're because he was 18, everything happens when he's 19. I don't know if the reference to him losing everything is to when this happens or if he was kind of going down a little bit of a negative path in life Mm -hmm. and already was kind of a little bit. I mean, he was 18 and and was going through some shit and whatever happened, happened. Yeah, 18. (laughs) What I will say, too, is that he did have a super kind face. And I I do want to kind of just paint the picture of what he looked like, because I feel like that's relevant. Daryl Hunt, uh, if anyone can Google him in the time frame, he pops up because he's one of the most prolific cases of a man accused of a crime that he did not commit uh, because of the length of time that he stayed in jail. Oh, no. Now, he is a sweet baby angel. He has a kind face, a cute smile. He wears glasses. He, I mean, he truly has like a calming demeanor that would be like that guy in the office that you would just kind of love. Oh, can I, I'm going to look him up. He's right here. Oh. I have the photo. I just threw the paper on the ground like a psycho. Oh. Yeah. He looks kind. He doesn't look like, I just want to make sure, he, like to paint the picture, he does not look like he has a harsh demeanor. No, he looks like he gives good hugs. Doesn't he? Right? He does look like he gives good I don't hugs. know why I'm handing this to you. In the early mornings of August 10th, 1984, Deborah Sykes, who is a 25-year-old copy editor at a local newspaper, she heads off to work. She ends up being raped and murdered on the outskirts of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She had been, as I mentioned, on her way to work, but she was also stabbed 16 times and was sodomized. So it was a very, very violent crime. Later on, as I dug through it more, Daryl Hunt had no history of any violence on his record. And it was a very apparent violent attack that happened from someone who hated women. Yeah. And so automatically, I ponder, I just ponder a lot of things. When it comes to the fact that like the attorney had said that and they're like, it's so apparent that like you and I couldn't just do that. No, (laughs) we had to have had, you know, a few years of beating up kids in the high school playground and filleting rabbits and all the crazy shit that happens to have that kind of mentality. Yeah, that's not going to be your your first go to. Right. She was found naked from the waist down and tests revealed that there was semen on her body. And, And that's, of course, how they knew she was raped. Here's a photo of her. Oh. Start bringing the photos back. What year was this again? Uh, 84. Okay. So Deborah is gorgeous. She has light eyes, short hair, a very 80s cut. She's really, really pretty. She's very pretty. Very pretty. Uh, this is where things kind of get confusing slash fucked up really early on in the entire situation. Okay. We'll start with someone calling 911. They call and report the attack that morning, and he identifies himself as Sammy Mitchell which we mentioned is Daryl Hunt's friend. Yeah. When the police talked to Sammy the next day, they also s- spoke to Daryl. Mitchell told the police he hadn't called 911 that night. So Sammy's like, I never called the cops. So whoever called had identified themselves as him. Another man, Johnny Gray, eventually told police that he had made the call. Okay, so now we're. I'm just automatically saying, that's weird. Yeah. Let's what? continue. Okay. A local man came forward and told police he had seen Sykes with an African-American man on the morning of the crime. When that man described a person, he matched Daryl Hunt's description. The police arranged a photo lineup. The witness tentatively identified Hunt as the man he had seen with Sykes. Once again, though, she was on her way to work. So I have a lot of questions as to, like, why was she just talking to random people on the street really early in the morning on her way to work? So I just felt that was kind of weird whenever people were like, oh, I saw them together. Well, how did you see them together? Because it was a brutal rape and attack. Don't you feel like that would be... A grab and go, like a grab, pull into an alley kind of experience, not like a long conversation on the streets talking. Yeah, I guess so. Unless, I mean, they maybe they knew each other. I don't know. No, they didn't. Well, based off of this, they didn't know each other. Yeah. And I'm going to, I wonder too, like, did the real perp start up a conversation with her to like get her comfortable and then ended up? Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. Johnny Gray had identified a different man. So that was the guy who had admitted to calling 911 still once more confused as to how he said Sammy Mitchell. Yeah, that's really weird. It is. But the man that Johnny Gray identified happened to be in jail that day when huh. the crime was committed. And that was during the first photo lineup, but after Hunt had been identified as a suspect, Gray then identified him as well. So he got set up really early. Yeah. Experts have criticized the way the lineup was conducted in which he was identified, noting that the police officer who conducted the lineup knew Hunt was a suspect and they believe he influenced the witness. 
Secondly, in one lineup, Hunt's photo had a different background than those of the other men, uh, which you well, cannot do. No, that's cheating. That is literally <laughs> cheating. They, they are automatically making you psychologically pick a different person based off of the background of the photo. Right. They're, they are 100% leading the witness to believing that that's the person. Yeah. It's like showing somebody a highlighted page and be like, don't read the highlight and then hand it to them. They're going to read the highlighted part first. Yes. Uh, police talked to Margaret Crawford, who was Hunt's underage, which they say underage girlfriend. So I'm, I'm, I get confused. So he had a girlfriend who he was living with. And then all of this kind of turns negative with whatever girl he was dating at the time. Okay. Because they break up and she lies. Oh. So her under, they say that she's working as a prostitute at the time. That automatically, right? Like, I'm not getting a lot about Daryl. In the time when he was 18 or 19, it sounds like he wasn't living a flower, a flower power life, maybe. Flower power. You know, he's maybe leaning into the naughty lifestyle. I don't know. I mean. If you're dating a prostitute, lots of questions there. Lots of things to unpack. Yeah. Like boxes and boxes of condoms. <laughs> but as I mentioned, there's no physical evidence that's linked either man to the crime. But on September 14th, the police do charge Hunt with first degree murder. The next day, his arrest photo was published in the newspaper, and he is officially, like, the number one target for the vicious crime. After this, Hunt's girlfriend was arrested on outstanding larceny charges. What's that again? Robbing. I say robbing, but it's like stealing. Okay. Anyway. I bequeath that to you, that word. Thank you. You're welcome. She initially told police that she was with Hunt on the night of the crime and that he couldn't have done it. Now, under arrest. Yeah. She tells police that he had admitted to her that he committed the fucking crime. Oh, at first she's like, oh, no. And now she's like, well, I'm in trouble. So and oh, no, even worse. She ends up recanting before the trial. But the prosecutors present her statements to the jury. (sighs) Okay, here's where we all need to be like, what the absolute fucking fuck? My big question is, in what in what case do you ever? Okay, I have dated dumbasses idiots scumbags people who are just the lowest level of trash dumpster fires and in any case even whenever we broke up even if one of them had broken the two percent of my heart i gave them when we dated i would have never been like he admitted to killing that person right and here's the other thing he is a black man Mm -hmm. you already knew in the 80s that they were against him in the first place right you would know that now and she was white right the victim Oh, the, the girl that was killed. Yes, the victim was, white. was yes, yeah. The victim was, was white. And it's like, you're already setting, like, why would you, I don't know, but I believe that his girlfriend was also black. And it's like, I, like, I, why? Mm-hmm. Like, you already didn't have police on your side. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, we know that. I know I'm a white woman saying that, but. Yeah. Just why say it? Why say it when the, the chips were already set, like, against him? Yeah. It does you even if you say it and you recant it, there's still a chance that they're gonna think that you lied. Yeah. And obviously you lied. So yeah. anyway. <sighs> that shit pisses me off. Me too. He was tried for first degree murder in the Sykes case in nineteen eighty five. Eyewitnesses were brought forth by the pros- uh, prostitution by the prosecution, and they testified that they had seen him with the victim before the crime. Or that they had seen him enter, get ready, enter a local hotel and leave bloody towels behind in the restroom. What? I know. Okay. I've read multiple case, like multiple different sites on this and I didn't see that part in one. Like I mirrored two different articles on everything and just kind of like inserted in what I read from one that I wasn't included in the other. Yeah. That was one that wasn't included in the other, but just fucking bamboozles me. Right. Where are those bloody towels? Why didn't anyone call 911? Because they saw somebody with a whole bunch of fucking bloody towels. Uh, housekeeping's just like, oh, somebody dyed their hair red in here again. Yeah. Damn it, Carla. And just throw them away. No. I don't know. Questions. He testifies on his own behalf that he didn't know the victim and had nothing to do with the crime. The jury deliberated for three days. So they didn't know. If it takes longer than hours, usually then they're like deadlocked or something. I'm excited. Tell me. Everything. Oh, I feel like three days was not enough. I mean, no, they should have done it for a long time. Yeah. But, you know, if they absolutely know without a doubt, usually oh, they're like, they yeah. came back in three hours. You're right. In 85, he was convicted of the rape and first degree murder of Sykes. The jury had 11 whites and one black man. Wow. The three alternates were also white. And the county's population was 25% black at the time. Okay. So I don't know how they assume we're going to go into another trial and he had all white jury. Oh, my God. Like, how? 
I get so mad because it's like, how does this shit fly? Right. According to a later discussion by one of the jury foremen, members had a difficult time in the case, initially voting 7-5 in favor of guilt. Ultimately, they did vote unanimously that he was guilty of first-degree murder. In a separate vote for sentencing, Hunt was spared the death penalty because none of the jurors voted for the capital sentence. He was sentenced to life. Wow. For a crime he did not commit with no evidence that he committed it. Parole or no? One more time. No evidence. None at There's no evidence. No evidence that he committed that crime. That's so They bad. have random people saying that they saw them and coercion on the lineup. That's wow. pretty much it. That's so fucking insane. Now even more happened. This is unbelievable. We're going to take a weird fucking turn. In 1983, so two years earlier, yeah. this guy named Arthur Wilson, he's a 57-year-old African-American man who was beaten and killed about 2 a.m. outside of a juke joint in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Same, same spot. Mm-hmm. Juke joints or apartments were common in poor neighborhoods, and they were serving as really just a ready place for people to drink day or night. So it was kind of like a uh, dicey area. Mm-hmm. The police pursued some leads, but they didn't arrest any suspects. And then they reopened the case in 1986 after receiving new information. With that, after being convicted in that case, Hunt was tried in 1987 for the 1983 murder of Arthur Wilson. What? Why? How? Why was he connected? There's no reason. I have no reason why. That's... I can't tell you any fucking reason why. That's so... Okay. He w- it was overturned on appeal in 1989. Good. Yeah. On appeal, the North Carolina Supreme Court had overturned the conviction because prosecutors has, had introduced Hunt's girlfriend's statements after she had recanted them. He got released on bond in 1989. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So went through the ap- appeal process. They were like, Hunt's girlfriend should, should have never been in there because she said she was lying. Yeah. And they put it in there. I just... One more time. <laughs> She admitted to lying, and they still used it in there. That's so insane. Well, now he gets indicted again in 1990 for the crime again against Sykes under a new county district attorney. Mitchell, who was Sammy Mitchell, his friend, was also indicted that year in Sykes' death, but was never brought to trial. And Warren Sparrow had defeated incumbent Donald K. Tisdale in the 1986 Democratic primary for district attorney, largely due to a backlash by the black community over the handling of his trial. So, like, shit started to happen because of Hunt's trial. Yeah, as it should. Yes. But still, so just fucking took too long. Yeah. Hunt's defense attorney gained a change in venue for his client's trial as the case had been widely publicized, obviously, in the Winston-Salem area and the Forsyth County areas as well. With the trial pending, they offered Hunt a plea bargain. He could be freed and sentenced to time already served, which was five years, in exchange for a guilty plea. So he had to say he was guilty. Mm-hmm. Not even He enough. rejected the offer. He was forced to face a second trial. Okay. He was retried in rural Catawaba County before an all-white jury. Oh, my God. The main witnesses from the first trial testified again. Guess what else they had this time? What? Two jailhouse informants who lied and said that he admitted to killing them while he was in prison. Oh, my God. The trial took four weeks, and the jury deliberated for less than two hours. Are you kidding me? Wow. Again, he was sentenced to life in prison. He had been free for only 11 months. Wow. Let's continue, shall we? I don't want to, but okay. Hunt's original trial attorney was Mark Ravel, who worked on the case for nearly 20 years. After the second conviction, in which Ravel was part of a larger defense team, he and another attorney, Ben Dowling-Sendor, filed for DNA testing in the case. In October of 1994, DNA results came back. Hunt's DNA did not match the semen found on the victim's body at the crime scene. Despite the results, however, Hunt's appeals were rejected. Why? Judges found that the new evidence did not prove innocence. Yes, it does. Repeated appeals met the same fate. Are you kidding me? They knew that his semen was not on the body and they would not let him out of jail. They felt that even though he did not rape her, that he was a part of the, the murder and that there was now... Out of nowhere, a second person there. Oh, my God. This is infuriating. Yes, it is. Like. Oh, it'll get worse. And unfortunately, we have not met everything. Mm. This is an unbelievable situation. So they were like too proud to 
go back. Okay, anyway, I'm pissed off at all these people. I you should be, but I mean you should be. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the whole the whole reason being was that they they truly felt that or the prosecution believed that he was involved in the murder, even if not the rape. And the his attorney continued to file. I'll tell you when he eventually. This is that's what will upset you the most. Finally, in 2003, the DNA profile from the crime scene was ran in the state database once more because his attorney never stopped at the at the request of his attorney. The results matched a man incarcerated for another murder. A violent murder was in jail for a violent murder. Yeah. Whenever he had also created a or had completed another violent murder previously. Mm. Yeah. Shocking. Right. On Christmas Eve of 2003, Hunt was finally released from prison. On April 6th of 2004, the charges were finally dismissed. And then less than two weeks later, the governor, Mike, easily pardoned Hunt. So how he was in jail for... Hold on. Okay. When questioned by a police after the DNA match to the Sykes case, Brown, who was the guy, he confessed to the 1984 rape and the stabbing death of Sykes. Brown's confession ultimately resulted resulted in the full exoneration and release of Daryl Hunt in 2004, who by then had served more than 19 years. Oh, my God. That's insane. For a crime he never committed. That's insane. I just want to mention, too, there was DNA that matched him to the other guy. And they still, he still stayed in there until the guy admitted to the crime. How does that even, how is that possible? After all is said and done, Daryl Hunt's case and trials had mistaken witness ID, perjury or false accusation, and official misconduct. Oh my God. But listen to this. On February 6, 2004, Superior Court Judge Anderson Cromer held a release hearing on Hunt. Sykes' mother... Evelyn Jefferson took the stand and criticized the judge for proposing to release a man that she still believed was guilty. When given a chance to speak, Hunt offered her and the Sykes family his condolences for their loss and forgave everyone for the years he spent in prison. Judge Cromer vacated Hunt's murder conviction in the case. The case against Hunt was dismissed with prejudice, meaning that that Hunt could not be tried again for the murder. Her mom still believed. I mean, after another man who did not know him. Yeah. It wasn't his. It wasn't his friend. Yeah, I mean, she probably. If you're fed something by the cops for so long, you're gonna believe that. I mean, I'm sure the police were like, "No, he did it. We know he did it." So of course we're she's gonna, gonna get him. She wants closure, and so that was probably her closure. Her Him closure was, was a guy admitting to doing it, though. Yeah, a I, guy admitted it. Yeah, it's to me that's ra- that's racial prejudice. It's wild. It, yeah, it is why it is There's so, so wild. much racism in this. Oh my god, I know, and that's what. I am so sorry Yeah, for every single person who handles racism every single day. Right. It breaks my heart. Oh, I know. And I promise to to continue to not be a person who does it myself. Yeah. He was awarded $750,000 in state compensation and settled a federal civil rights lawsuit against the city of Winston-Salem for $1.65 million. He started a nonprofit called the Daryl Hunt Project for Freedom and Justice, which helped provide resources to individuals recently released from prison and advocated for criminal justice reform. He started a nonprofit. Yes. Oh, sweet baby angel. Yeah. But also, what do you do when you spent? He was 19 when he went to jail, spent 19 years in jail. Think about how. And now you have two million dollars. I mean, anything about how much has changed? Okay. Yes. Let's talk about a few other things that did end up happening. So citizens of Winston-Salem collaborated on creating the Deborah Sykes Administrative Review Committee to investigate the city's handling of the case. Over the course of its inquiry from 2005 to 2007, a citizens committee, a citizens committee revealed mistakes made by law enforcement officers in the handling of the Sykes case and three other rape cases that occurred in the same time frame. They released a 103-page report with a 9,000-page appendix in February of 2007. The city issued a formal apology to Daryl Hunt and made a settlement for his wrongful conviction and years in jail. Stephen Deere, who was the executive director of People of Faith Against the Death Penalty, credited Hunt with contributing to the passage of the legislature legislature of a law establishing the North Carolina Innocence Inquiry Commission to investigate cases of wrongful convictions. It was the first such such independent commission in the United States. From 2007 through March of 2017, it has exonerated 10 inmates. Wow. So if it wasn't for Hunt and what he, the 20 years he almost lost, 10 other inmates would still be in prison. 
He also testified before a U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on the death penalty appeals process. Hunt and similar or Hunt's and similar cases contributed to the legislators passage of the North Carolina Racial Justice Act of 2009, which allowed death row inmates to have their sentences reduced to life in prison if they could prove racial bias influenced the outcome of their cases. After the act was passed, most of the 153 persons on death row filed appeals. From 2009 to June of 2013, four people received amended sentences to life imprisonment. State lawmakers repealed the act in 2013, but many appeal cases are pending. In 2016, both candidates for North Carolina State Attorney General campaigned on the basis of retaining the death penalty in the state. <sighs> yeah. So a lot happened. Mm-hmm. A lot needed to happen. Yeah. Sounds like a lot still needs to happen, but... Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. All right. What? I'm sorry for the rest. Oh, God. This is where um, your heart will break a million different ways. Okay. On March 13th, 2016, Daryl Hunt killed himself via gunshot wound. His friends had been worried that he was not taking good care of himself and he was suffering from depression. He had told his friends that he was terminally ill with cancer. However, his autopsy report... Uh, from the medical examiner found that there was no evidence of this and there were no medical records or any diagnosis of cancer. They believe that this was a cover-up for the drug use and all of his weight loss from it. Oh, no. And so that's my very, very sad story of the loss of the life of Daryl Hunt, but then also everything that he gave us back Mm -hmm. through his life. I hate more than anything that he killed himself. Yeah. God, I don't even know. I know. Go from here. I think that's the worst part. That's what broke my heart because I found out that he killed himself very soon in the whole thing. But what happens when you spend half of your life in prison, right, for something you did not commit? I still know what was happening the year before he went into jail. You have two million dollars. He's trying to do all these great things. He did achieve a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. But what do you do now when you have that money and drugs are a thing and you, the depression, the the understanding that. He, he was basically 40 years old and we're like right there on the cusp, right? I And now life feels, life feels like it, we're middle-aged, right? Air quoting, whatever. And mm-hmm. so like there's a level of like the best years are behind you, though they're not. And it's just like he had lost his best years. Yeah. And then everybody telling him that he did something he didn't do for so long and nobody believing you, that had to be pretty frustrating. The DNA evidence... This is what I didn't mention, and my apologies for that. But the DNA evidence that came out that proved that he was not a match for the semen on the body, he stayed in jail for 10 full years. 10 full years with that information. It took 10 years of his attorney appealing every single time, saying there is DNA that proves I did not rape her. That's insane. It's so upsetting. Yeah. I could cry, and I don't even like to do that. No, you don't. Not that anyone probably likes to do it. No. But I told you, this one, this one was a sad one. But I tried to give him justice. Yeah. In the story, at least. not. There's no other way to give somebody justice for that. No. Okay. Well, let's keep this angry train rolling because my story is going to piss you off, too. Great. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Okay. Now, my turn. I don't have a cute little name for mine. So, uh, this is just the wrongful conviction of Jonetta Carr. Had you, had you heard about my guy? I had not. And I don't. I haven't heard of your lady. Well, you're about to get real pissed. Can you repeat her name? Johnetta Carr. Can you spell it? J-O-H-N-E-T-T-A-C-A-R-R. Okay. Thank you. Okay, my sources. What's Wiki- your date of birth? No, I'm kidding. Do you ever feel like <laughs> What? Where they're like, can can you spell your name? Whenever you're at like, like the doctor's office and you're... Yeah. Whenever you get surgery and they're like, what's your birthday? What's your name? Spell your name. I'm like, okay, I'll stop talking. Please continue. <laughs> okay. Uh, my sources are Wikipedia... WHAS 11 Louisville, the Louisville Courier, wow, the Louisville Courier Journal, several court documents, which I had to learn how to read because I'd never had to do that before. Uh, Episode 325 of Wrongful Conviction podcast. And I relied heavily on this because it was very well done. And uh, I even got to speak with Johnetta on Facebook Messenger. That is so which was insane to me. Very kind of her to give me permission to tell her story and give me some statements and insight to her her story. This is so exciting. I Congratulations. know. I can't believe you just like slid into her DMs. I know. I told her I was like, "Hey, just," and she was very kind, and I got to talk to her a little bit. So that's so wild. Yeah, I talked to her last night too. So 
oh to let God. her know that we what? were doing this today. So you're so you're so wild. Look, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Okay. Johnetta Carr. Johnetta Carr was born on May 25th, 1988, in Louisville, Kentucky. So not too far from here, about an hour and a half. She's like our age. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yep. Okay, continue. She has five siblings and is the baby of the family. And her family, they were super close. And her, she was with her extended family a lot. So she even said that her great grandma used to say, "Oh, she didn't do that. She's the baby," which was adorable. So she, you know, she said she got away with a little bit more. Lorinda, Johnetta's mother, raised all six children on her own until she met her stepdad. His name was Edward. Her mom worked her ass off to make sure that they were taken care of, and they had a really good support system. Johnetta was a typical teenager. She would hang out with her friends, have fun, get ice cream, go to the movie, skate. That's what her mom was saying. It was cute. (laughs) And they used to stay at each other's houses all the time, and she had a ton of friends. They were really religious, and they went to church every Sunday. Johnetta was active in her church. She even acted in plays. She took classes, took acting classes. She's real cute. I just looked her up. She's very pretty. Amazing smile. Mm Mm-hmm. And she, she really loved the, the church and the acting and all that stuff. Her mom said that she was, in never, she was never in trouble, and she had a wonderful spirit. She was a really good kid, and people genuinely just liked being around her. She's extremely intelligent, too. She graduated high school at the age of 16. Wow. Yeah, like, just but, crushed That's it. what I'm saying, too. Like, she looks like a, a good soul. Like, she, and, I, and I get it, right? We can't say that because of, like, Ted Bundy. Yeah. I totally understand that Ted Bundy pretty much is the number one person who ruined everything. <laughs> when yeah. it comes like people looking like serial killers but mm-hmm. and obviously we're not talking about a serial killer but long story short if you look her up that does not scream the face of a murderer to me no not at all and then so she graduated at 16 from high school and then right after this she went to sullivan university and she wanted to become a paralegal and she wanted to work for the prosecutor's office this is around the same time that she met a man named planus michael adolfe uh, he went by michael michael lived in an apartment complex next door to her best friend and her best friend's mom Michael was a Haitian taxi driver, and he was about 20 years older than her at the time. She commented on the podcast saying she was just out of high school and guys her age, she didn't like them because she was, I mean, she was in college. She's like, hey, I was a teenager. Judge me if you want. But that was my way to rebel. Some people steal stuff. She's like, I just liked older dudes. And she laughed a little bit. And that's what she said on the other podcast, Mm -hmm. as we said? Okay. Yeah. Good for for her, I know. She was like, judge me if you want. I was 16 and boys my age. I didn't like them. So. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) I totally get it. I know. Their your, relationship- your dad probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> their their relationship was great, and they got along very well. She kept talking about how kind he was and that they just had fun. On October 22nd, 2005, Michael had some people over to his place to play dominoes, and then Johnetta was at her best friend's house for a sleepover, and they did this all the time. It was a normal night, and then everything changed the next morning, though. A call came to the police department saying that someone was collapsed outside their apartment building. And they found Michael, who had been strangled to death with a cord from a fan. His feet were taped together with duct tape. His cell phone and his wallet were not on him. And he had a receipt from the store in his pocket from 1047 p.m. the night before. Okay, automatically, how the fuck was she charged for that? Right. Like, obviously, I know that that's what happened. Mm -hmm. How the absolute fuck, like a woman who's 16 to a 36-year-old man Mm -hmm. is going to duct tape his feet. And then she, I'm going to flip a fucking table over. This whole story is going to piss This you is off. so, like, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to interrupt, but I'm so fucking mad already. Like, no part of that sounds. No. And she had no record and was like a church girl. <laughs> like, how? I know. I know. Oh, my God. Is, is race. Just, uh, just buckle up. A few miles away, they found his taxi with the stereo missing, and it was like completely ransacked. Another thing that a 16 year old girl wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Sadly, Johnetta found out that her boyfriend, they were together about two and a half months at this time. Mm-hmm. She found out that Michael was murdered. She saw it on TV. Aww. She saw it on the news. She was stunned and heartbroken. And she literally was like, who did this? Why would they do this? Because she talked about how kind he was. And she didn't know that he had any enemies. Two and a half months go by. And the investigators show up when she was at her best friend's house looking for her. And it's the same best friend that she was at the sleepover with the night that he was killed. At her best friend's house, who is neighbors to her boyfriend. Yes, I'm not sure. Well, that's what you just said. Yeah, I know, but I'm not sure now that I think about it. Because it gets murky which best friend they're talking about. Oh, she, okay. Yeah. So she was obviously a slut for best friends. <laughs> she, you Does just she not know me, that you're only allowed to have one? You just gave me a look like, don't worry. Detective Tony Fitch came to the apartment and he was the lead investigator on Michael's murder. And I want to point out that I found him on Facebook. I did not slide into his DMs, but he is definitely white. So keep that in mind. 
When Johnetta came to the door, he immediately handcuffed her and placed <gasps> her under arrest for this crime. Are you fucking kidding me? Yep. Who is he? I'm going to find him and stalk him. Oh, on. wait. I'm okay, like a douche. They went to the precinct, and the whole time she was so confused. Like, how scary? Because, again, she's 16. Yeah. Like, I was just trying to get gas money at 16. Like, I, no. Yeah. Sergeant James Hellinger and Tony Finch interrogated Johnetta by herself, even though here in Kentucky, you're supposed to notify the parents. Yeah. Because it's the law. It is the law. Mm-hmm. There's no question that that is the law. Did she not know that? I mean, she she wanted to be a parent. Like, did she? I'm, and I'm not asking. I just think at 16, I wouldn't do anything without my parents. But then again, I would be like, what the fuck is happening? But I mean, yeah, I don't know. In my confusion opinion, and fear, speculation outside looking in, I mean, she was probably ahead of her time because she was already in college at yeah, you're I right. I, I don't know. I don't know either. My God. But at that I age, know. I was just trying to steal cigarettes out of my parents' fucking pockets. <laughs> like, I it was not. Right. I wouldn't have known what to do if I got arrested out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. So she said that Detective Finch was extremely harsh with her. She said, and I quote, when I asked for my mom, he told me that it's, it was not a Girl Scouts meeting and my mom wasn't allowed to come down there. She <gasps> said he threatened her, called her a murderer, a bitch, and a whore. <gasps> yeah. He accused her of being in a gang. He said he had witnesses that placed her at the crime scene and he knew she did it. He said that she was a threat to society and that he didn't want her on his fucking streets and she was going to go to prison for life. They did this to her for 11 hours. And of course, Jonetta told him the whole time she never broke. She didn't do it the whole time. She thought she was going to go home that whole time. But instead, they booked her into the Jefferson <gasps> County Youth Detention Center. And her mom, her mom didn't know. Are you kidding me? This whole time. Mm-mm. The JCYC, oh which my is God, the I'm about to fucking lose my mind. Youth deten- you're just get worse. The JCYC called her mom and said, hey, we're holding Johnetta for manslaughter and conspiracy to commit murder and that her court time was at 8.30. They called her at 8 a.m., so 30 minutes before she's supposed to go to court. This story keeps re-pissing me off because she had an alibi. There were over six people at the sleepover that were at her best friend's house. That were I'm going to lose my mind, right? Heather. I'm yeah. going to lose my mind. It gets worse. Oh, my God. I Apparently, to- a few weeks before she was arrested, the cops, had, they had now zeroed in on her. Like, they just thought it was her. They had interviewed a friend that was How at dumb the- are they? I'm so sorry. Yeah. They, they, no one ever once stopped to be like, oh, a 16-year-old girl couldn't strangle and duck top and ransack a car and drive it down the street and gut a fucking stereo? Yeah. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Mm. So they had zeroed in on her, but they had interviewed a few a friend a few weeks before that that was at the sleepover. They had arrested that friend on a bench warrant for shoplifting. And they I couldn't find her real name, so we'll just say Carrie. That's what they called her on the podcast. Okay. The cops started asking Carrie about Michael, and she was adamant that Johnetta didn't do this. There's no way she could have. And Carrie told him that Johnetta, a male friend, and they changed his name to Kyle, and a few other friends drove around. They grabbed some, like, White Castle, and then they went back with all the people at the sleepover. Carrie told him that Johnetta never left the house alone. That's the only time she left. After Carrie did this, though, Detective fucking Finch used it to be like, oh, so you all three did it. And then if you help me and you tell me what I want to hear, I'll make sure your charges go away. After 10 hours of this, Carrie cracked and lied to him. She said, okay, I'll tell you what you want to hear. But then she immediately recanted and was like, no, 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 no. But he did it and arrested her anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah. They brought Uh. Kyle in, who was also like, hell no, we didn't do this. But they arrested him. Those two were only 19. Oh, my God. Johnetta was originally charged as a juvenile, being 16, but they later amended the charge as an adult for first-degree murder, which hit her like a ton of bricks. While she was in JCYC, sadly, Johnetta attempted suicide. Poor sweet love. Right. They transferred her to a nearby hospital, and she was diagnosed clinically depressed and given medication. While there, she was still hopeless, she started stockpiling those meds and took all of them at once. The Kentucky Innocence Project represented Johnetta in her conviction battle and said that Detective Finch was hell-bent on pinning this on her. They didn't go after any other leads, examine the evidence with a fine-tooth comb. No other suspect, no other suspects were even looked into, and they were basically going to do whatever it takes. So after Johnetta's 18th birthday, they transferred her to the adult jail. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, it gets way worse. Lori Deckard was a prisoner at in the next cell, and claimed that Johnetta confessed to her, so Finch used that against her, too. Of course. Why? Oh, my God. Lori said that Johnetta told her she was mad at Michael, so they robbed and killed him. A few other people came forward and implicated Kyle and Carrie. And you have to think, too, how publicized this case was was already. And you don't know if they promised them things, like what they did, or maybe they just wanted to be involved because that happens sometimes. Like, who knows? 
But remember, though, there were other people at the sleepover, and they brought in her best friend who was like, look, we slept on the same couch. We were under the same blanket. Like, there's no way. And instead of accepting this, a report was fabricated saying that she told them she was a heavy sleeper and could not say for sure if she left while she was asleep. Oh, my gosh. So they're oh, my. So they lied. Mm -hmm. Like, not even. Yeah. They're not even trying to cover up the fact that. And why a 16 year old girl like. I know. With no record, no nothing. Anyway, the cops got annoyed and started going after Johnetta, Kyle, and Carrie, saying that if all three of them didn't plead guilty, that one of them would be tried for the death penalty. How is this happening? I know. What year was this? This was, when they were doing this, was in 2008. <gasps> yeah. Yep. Oh, my gosh. So, here's, get this. The state decided to offer them a, the Alford plea. So, like, guilt without having to admit guilt, kind of. But the prosecutor said they would only accept it if they all pled guilty under the Alfred plea. So they can say that they're innocent, like they can protest their innocence, but it technically looks like you're guilty. It's the only way they would accept it. So on April 14th, 2008, Johnetta pled guilty to (gasps) evidence tampering, two conspiracy charges, and second degree manslaughter. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Like, I can't imagine this. She was hopeless at this point. But while in prison, she at first she was scared. But she took classes. She went to church. She even sang in the church choir there. And she was pretty much a good inmate. And she was just making the best out of the world's worst fucking scenario in the entire world. Yeah, it's kind of what I wrote right after that. She she did make the best of it. She said that she met a lot of women from all walks of life and they lifted each other up. And at first she was scared, but they all welcomed her. And she said she really made friends like she good for her. Yeah. So one year after that, the... Sorry, demeanor, okay. but yeah. that also speaks to her kind of personality and her demeanor right. and who she is as a human being that she's like... Yeah. Ugh. She knows she didn't do it. She knows she doesn't deserve to be there, but she's like, I'm going to help lift these other women up and they're going to help lift me up. And mm. and she called them beautiful. She's like, all these, uh, I met all these beautiful women from all the... It's, uh, I want to I wanna hug her. Right? I Let's know. go to Louisville. Okay. One year after conviction, Johnetta was called into the office at the prison and she was confused because she's like, I didn't... I never do anything. I didn't do anything. Why am I getting called up here? And there sat Lori Deckard, the jailhouse informant. She went on to say the cops told her to lie and say that during the investigation. And Johnetta is such a good woman that she said at first I was like, why did why did you do that? But then she said she realized that the informants were put they were put in situations like that. Yep. And it's the, the cops fault. It's the detective's fault, not her. She didn't get have any anger towards her. She had it at them. So in 2009. Johnetta was eligible for parole after four years into her 20-year sentence, and she was finally granted release. She was out of jail, but definitely not free yet. She was still out on parole. Okay. So think drug screenings, check-ins. They even made her pay a $25 monthly fee. Being on parole requires her to work, which was difficult because she still had a record. So she said she would go into 10-plus jobs a day, and they would say, well, you're a great person, but we can't hire you. Because of the charges. Mm. Her mom, of course, let her stay with her when she got released. But to go from graduating early from high school and heading into college to not being able to work because of a conviction for something you didn't do, that right. has to be terrible. This is when Johnetta started researching all of this and saw that 10,000 people each year were wrong, wrongfully accused in the U.S., which fired her up. Because she's like, I'm not the only one. She never had to look into that before. She didn't know. She was 16. I know. Right? Like... Oh, what 16 year old is like, I wonder how many people were wrongfully convicted. And like, it's like she's in prison over there able to fucking get her Google on. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, so she did four years. Yeah. Okay. This is when she decided to not get angry, but to fight. You fight, girl. She started donating plasma to get money and she would go next door to the Dollar Tree or something like that. She said to make poster boards and raise awareness in Louisville. She would write on there and walk around Louisville with poster boards. Look at her go. She started trying to clear her name and reach out to several organizations. And in two, uh, 2018, which is 10 years after her release, the Kentucky Innocence Project said that they would help exonerate her. So the, par- the project got a grant for DNA testing, and they were finally able to test the DNA from the cord and the duct tape from Michael's murder. It's amazing that they never, they never did that. Well. Oh, fucking A. When they started diving into this, the files, the records, and the case... They figured out this had already been done. Oh. And they didn't disclose it in the fucking trial back in 2006. Oh, my. It had already been done. It didn't match anyone in CODIS, but it also didn't match 
John Edit, Carrie, or Kyle. Oh my God. They also found that there were several other suspects that were never properly investigated. Of course there were. There had to have been because somebody else did it. Right. One of which being Steve Lewis. Steve Fuck Steve. I don't know who he is. Sorry. I'm just <laughs> mad. I know. I'm really mad. Yeah. I am very, I'm very mad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Steve was an acquaintance of Michael's and a witness said that Steve, they saw Steve threatened to kill Michael because they got an argument over a female and he didn't have an alibi. Steve and what didn't. female? Because I don't know. He I was wondered dating. That. I wonder that too. He's also a pervert. He's but, 36 dating a 16 year old. Let's well, who knows though? Like maybe, maybe Michael made a joke about Steve's girlfriend. You know, they just said a female. Who knows? Yeah. So. But also he was a like, can we admit that that's really, really gross? It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's, yeah. It's illegal statutory rape. Yeah. But we're not acting like that happened. <laughs> I just realized we skimmed over that mm-hmm. and we should probably acknowledge that that's what that was. Yeah. If they were intimate, they were only dating for two and a half months. Maybe they weren't sexually. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But Steve didn't have an alibi at all. He couldn't tell him where he was. Nothing. Another thing, Michael's phone was being used after he was murdered. And their calls were being made all over the country. And they never followed up with any of that. Like Mm. where they were or anything. The Kentucky Innocence Project said that the case had been open for a little while and the prosecutor wanted closure. They knew that if they went to trial, the case was so shaky. So they freaked the kids out. And made him do the the Alfred plea. Oh my gosh. Johnetta was confident that she would have been not found not guilty if they would have actually went to trial. But it's too painful for her to think about now. Of course. Yeah. She's so cute too. She said she's trying to be a light in the world and move with purpose and take her pain and make it her purpose. Oh my gosh. Yeah. On December 9th, 2019, Governor Matt Bevan, at, he was the governor in Kentucky at the time, pardoned Johnetta based on her actual innocence. He called her personally and apologized for what happened to her. And, and she said he actually cried when he was talking to her. Which they weren't able to DNA test the evidence, though, now because she wasn't under state supervision, according to Kentucky law. So that meant that the true killer of Michael might never be known. That sucks. Yeah. It's a loophole in there. Yeah. One thing that Johnetta told me when I first reached out to to her that Kentucky is one of 12 states that does not give any compensation to wrongful convictions. <gasps> None. Johnette is now represented legally by the Exoneration Project. She's a mother of two and she's finally getting to pursue her dream as a paralegal. Instead of the prosecution's office, however, she plans to work to help prevent and correct wrongful convictions. Kentucky House Bill 691 was introduced on February 28th, 2022, but it hasn't had any movement. I just checked yesterday again. The bill would compensate people like Johnetta who are wrongfully accused and convicted. In 2020, Johnetta went after those who let her down, including named the detectives, the sergeant, the city of Louisville, and other unknown officers. So in July of 2021, U.S. District Judge Charles Simpson dismissed her case because she tried to sue them, all them. He, that's what I saw when I Googled her name. It was mm-hmm. like if she sues the state of Louisville, yeah. or the city of Louisville. Yep. He dismissed her case, though, because he said that the pardon didn't make it clear enough that she was innocent and they were suing for wrongful conviction. So they just dismissed it. Of course they did. Johnetta told me that she is one of 23 Kentuckians to be exonerated. She said the first one known was in 1989 and the state made no movement for reform on the laws after that or to hold people accountable. I have some like... What the fuck? I know. Man, like, uh, the Daryl story is such bullshit, but it's even less, ain't, like, I can't say less because he spent 20 years in jail pretty much, and, and 10 of them were after they knew he didn't do it. Yeah. He got, uh, you know, two mil almost out of it, but also it cost him his life in the end. But hers, there was no... Nothing. Proof whatsoever. Nothing. All evidence that she did not do it. Mm-hmm. And then... They pin a murder on a 16-year-old child. Yeah. And, and then there's 19- no fucking reform or effort or any hand slapped no. for the fact that that was happened. Nope. That I, ha- I, get- I know. Yeah. And this is our state. Sorry. No, I now know. I'm, like, I'm going to break something. I know. That's why I, I had to break up my research because I was getting really upset for her. And then after speaking with her, well, chatting with her online and hearing her interviews. Like, I can't. Right. She and a few others worked with Representative James Nemes. I don't know how to say that. No one cares about his last name. That's fine. Well, you will once you hear that he's trying to do good, though. <laughs> so she, they worked with him on, a, on House Bill 571 that will actually establish a plan of action for those 
who are wrongfully convicted in the state of Kentucky and not just throw them back out into the wild. This was introduced in February of this year, so keep an eye on that because it has no movement. It just was introduced like last month. Ooh. Okay. I want to end with a quote that Jonetta asked me to share with you all. <gasps> oh, Jonetta, we love you. We love you and we're sorry and we love you and we're sorry. Yep. Okay. Wrongful convictions is a human issue and a justice issue. Through my lived experience of being wrongly convicted, I know and understand the system is not perfect. The years lost of life while I sat innocent behind bars could never be given back. The lasting impact of my wrongful conviction still arises in my day-to-day life. There are many citizens still innocently sitting behind bars, not only in Kentucky, but nationwide. Moving forward, I believe it will take everyone coming together to prevent wrongful convictions. I encourage listeners who want to get involved or learn more about the wrongful conviction to support the Kentucky Innocence Project and the Chandler Project. It's innocentproject.org or thechandlerproject.us. And that is the sad story of the murder of Michael Adolphe and the wrongful conviction of John Carr. Well, John Edda, we wish you the best. Keep fighting for a change. We support you. I hate that it happened to you. But no, it's a terrible it would, thing. Yeah, she it's even terrible. has a nonprofit to help. What was it? It's a or it's a GoFundMe to help fund uh, people that want to go to the conference for the to fight for innocence and for a change. I don't know the actual name of it, but I read that this morning. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, hell's bells. Yeah, I don't know how to go up from here. There's I know really, that's it's it's um it's terrible. It's something that we don't I, I don't think most people are kind of taking the time to think about it there's so many causes out there there's mm-hmm. so many reasons to believe and to support different things and this this topic and this theme if you will has 100% opened my eyes to an entire storyline of injustices that are happening every single day in the past in the present I'm sure it'll happen in the future yeah, it's terrible. It's just, what the fuck is happening? I know. I just, I can't imagine her just, I don't know. She already had to deal with her boyfriend being murdered and then everyone's around her telling her she did it and she's fucking 16. I don't know. I think what blows me away is the time frame that that happened. That's unbelievable that that happened recently. Mm-hmm. Like that's recent. That's yeah. not, that's recent. Mm-hmm. Even the eight, like the eighties with Daryl is still recent, but it, you can wrap more around your head. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, seventies was a wild time. Eighties was still figuring shit out 90s saved by the bell so everything's great but i don't know it's yeah. wild i don't know i hate that i hate i hate what happened to janetta and daryl and mm. yep well i don't know how to tie this in a bow. let's pivot yeah let's, let's pivot let's do that and say i have no idea <laughs> it's the weekend <laughs> i don't know what to say Fo- yeah follow us on social i mean facebook I don't know what to say. Heather's stuck. So, yeah, yeah, we're just going to try to lift ourselves up, focus on a fun weekend. Uh, We had some terrible storms here in Kentucky. It was a very, very trying and terrifying night, to be really honest with you. I'm quite a sleepy bear because I didn't sleep because we were waiting to find out about tornadoes until about midnight last night. Mm -hmm. Luckily, from what I saw, nothing like some something touched down. I think it was the Arkansas one where 10 people, I don't know, 10, 10 people died in the storms last night. Oh, wow. I just don't know where I think it was in Arkansas because it did touch down there. But tornadoes are terrifying. I hate them and they terrify me, but I forgot that they are like the, you really do know the path. Like I just, I guess in my mind, I just remember being a kid when I lived here mm-hmm. and just being like, oh, well, your parents will tell you to get in the basement and then everything's going to be fine. And so I didn't think much about it, lived in, tor- in uh, Hurricaneville for 10 years, came back here. And now I just feel like tornadoes are going to like attack me. And every time the weather is bad, I'm like terrified, utterly terrified. Yeah. Oh, don't provide too much um, flourish <laughs> on that, Heather. It's just like, yeah. I mean, it is. It, it's terrifying it is to me. Scary. But luckily, the the news tells, like, they're like, hey, we think it's going to go this way. It was quite a... Yeah, I don't think... It, it's been a long time since I've actually watched it live. Like, watched the local news. And I had the app on for the local radio station. Yeah. Yeah. What's the local radio station that you were listening to? 92.5 WBKR. It's a great radio station. <laughs> I got, you got to love that one. I was following that one too. Yes. We were listening to that. Dave Spencer was giving us the up-to-date information. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that we are all safe and that we were able to record and That's everyone's right. 
happy, healthy, and at home. Very thankful. So it sounded very COVID-y of me. That, very yeah. circuit 2020. Well, y'all, we love you. Uh, we don't know what our topic is next week, which almost makes things even more exciting. But what we will let you know as we prelude into the summer months is that Heather and I have somehow coordinated all of our vacations in, in a way that we will not see each other for about three weeks in June. Uh, Heather will be on vacation, then I'll be on vacation, then Heather's going to be on vacation again because she's a hoe for a good time. (laughs) So what that means is we might be taking a hiatus, everyone, or we're going to be working ungodly hard. And for that, you should definitely be staying tuned for our merchant shop that's going to be coming up in the next maybe months. We'll have to figure it out because it's a lot of effort by all parties involved, and we're going to figure out what we can do. So... Listen and love our our episodes coming up because there might be some time in June where you won't be getting as much of us. We're going to have to figure it out or we're going to be doing some new uh, quickies in the bathroom, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) It's going to be some some quick episodes. Oh, my God. We love you guys so much. Like, listen, subscribe, tell your friends, share our posts. We love you. That's right. Bye. Bye. Theodore, can I put that down?